invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, today we want uh, not just to talk about you as if you're someone uh, distant to be studied from afar, but uh, Father, we, we want to commune with you as if you were in the room because you are, and we want to hear from you. So I pray that you'd speak today clearly to each and every one of us in only the way that you can do. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd help us to hear you. Soften our hearts so that we can take what you have to say to heart and open up our minds so that there's nothing that gets in the way, no distractions, no, uh, no, no other burdens that creep in and, and crowd out your voice. We want to hear you. We want to listen to you. Uh, we want your word to transform us. So, Father, please make that happen, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, again, my name is Dion. For, for those of you who came in a little late, uh, one of the teaching pastors here. And last month, um, I, I had a birthday. And uh, you're all good enough even to sing to me on my birthday. Um, that was nice. But um, my wife, she got me a, a little belated present that we just picked up last week. Uh, she got some of our old home movies. Some of these were 15 years old or so. She got them converted to DVD. And so we just picked up those DVDs last week and we started watching them. And one of those DVDs was of video footage that, that was taken from all around our wedding day 14 years ago. And it was amazing as we watched these videos just how much has changed. I mean, home video's gotten a lot better for starters. Um, but uh, I I'd look around at some of these people and I see how much everything has changed in 14 years of time. And yet some things haven't changed at all, or at least not much. Uh, that little guy right there in the front of the screen uh, with glasses on, his name's Cullen. And he's my nephew. At the time, he's about two years old. Um, over there in the corner, you maybe saw there was another baby. He was just a couple months old at the time. That's his younger brother, Sterling. Sterling's now 14 years old. He's in middle school. He's just this handsome, strapping, crazy boy. Uh, they've got two older brothers who are college age now. I can hardly believe it because they were little ring bearers in our wedding at the time. And uh, I look around at other people in the room, and so much has changed. Except for Cullen, a lot of things haven't changed. I've probably shared this with you before, but um, Cullen, when he was in the womb, experienced a stroke uh, that almost cost him his life. And uh, at the time, we prayed and we asked that God would spare his life and believe that God did a miracle, that, that uh, he was born and he shouldn't have been. He should have died in the womb, and yet he was born. He saw the light of day, but as we discovered over the next few months, he was, he was severely multiply impaired because of it. And so for Cullen, even though he's grown bigger, even though he looks different, um, his life is, is much the same as it was then. He, he can't talk. He can't walk. In fact, he's probably less mobile now uh, than he was even as a two-year-old. He can't feed himself. He can't take care of himself. He has to depend on people in his life to do everything that he needs in life. Uh, and, and on top of that, he has dozens of seizures every day. And so, you know, Joss and I were watching these videos and we're remembering life 14 years ago and how different it was. And then I started to think about my sister, Cullen's mom, and, and for 16 years, you know, her life has been much the same. And for most of us as parents, we kind of move into different seasons and we get to experience different kinds of challenges in being parents. But, but we usually have this, this moment where we get to move out of being the primary caregiver to our children. But for 16 years, my sister's role hasn't changed with Cullen. It's just as hands-on, as intense as ever. It, it's just not going away. It's not changing. I think back to college. Uh, I got involved in a student ministry while I was in college. 
And uh, it was a student ministry that was kind of from a holiness or perfectionist background, which, which are kind of theological terms. Basically, one of the things that they taught was that the longer you are with Jesus, the, the more you learn to love him, the more the Holy Spirit fills your heart, the more victory you'll have in life over life's circumstances, but also the more victory you'll have in your life over sin and, and struggles within. And, and man, I was a college student and that sounded really good to me because in college I was in the, embroiled in struggle against sin and temptation. And uh, that ministry, it really blessed me in a lot of ways. In fact, I've got a friend from that ministry who is still my friend from life, one of my greatest prayer partners, uh, even though we live hundreds of miles away. And, and yet I discovered that as I got older, yes, my love for Jesus has gotten deeper and that is changing my life. And I never want to, to diminish in any way how powerful it is to be in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. It is absolutely life-changing. It is eternity-changing. That's why I do what I do, because I believe it, that there's nothing better. And yet, I've discovered even though my love for Jesus has grown deeper, even though the fruit of the Spirit, yeah, they're, they're being evidenced, I hope, in greater measure in my life, I've discovered that, that I don't have victory over circumstances in my life like I thought I might. I, I don't have victory even over internal struggles that plague me. There are wars that still wage on uh, inside of me. See, see today I want to talk to people who understand struggle. Struggle that doesn't end. Struggle that is wearying. And to some degree, I think, I think everyone in this room gets that. And if not, you'll get it soon because life is filled with struggle. And I've got a word I want to share with you. No matter whether your circumstances are, are, are the nature of your struggle, external things, whether it's something internal that you're struggling with, I want to share a word with you today that is such an important word, but it's a word I guarantee you will want to fight against. It's a word that you probably don't want to hear if you're in the middle of a wearying, ongoing struggle and so I'm not going to say it yet. Instead, first, I'm going I'm to warm you up a little bit. I'm just going to let you know my tactics right up front. I'm going to warm you up a little bit because this is such a hard word to hear. I'm going to warm you up a little bit by introducing you to a guy named Elijah. Now, some of you have heard of Elijah. Some of you haven't. It's okay. Either way, if you haven't, that's all right. Um, but Elijah was living in a time of struggle. He was a man who was, he was serving as the prophet, uh, the spokesperson, the representative of God during, his, during his, uh, his life, his generation. And he was living during a time when the world all around him was crazy corrupt. Now, now I know sometimes we may moan about how the world has gone godless, and, and yet our life doesn't change much in spite of the way the world goes, right? We still live in our homes, we drive our cars, we have jobs, we have friends, we have social standing. Everything's okay for us. Not so with Elijah. That was not his life at all. He was living as the prophet of God in a godless time where it literally meant that people who were faithful to God were persecuted and even killed. Elijah's peers were, were being killed off by the king and queen of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel. And so Elijah finds himself faithfully serving God, speaking for God, doing unpopular things, doing difficult things. And the more faithful he is, the harder life gets the more intense his struggle becomes until finally things come to a head in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, which is where I want us to go today. So if you have a Bible, if you want to grab the Bible ahead of you, you can, you can open that. If you have your phone or your, uh, your tablet with you, you can go to uversion.com and type 
uh, tap the live tab and then type in STGSTL. You'll find a menu for our whole service. The words will be up here as well. Uh, is great. You can take notes there and send them to yourself. You can send us prayer requests. You can even give online through Uversion or through our kiosks out in the lobby. Uh, but we're looking at 1 Kings 19. It says, uh, now Ahab, he's the king of Israel, told his wife Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah, the prophet, had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now I'm guessing this requires a little explanation. I just told you what a good guy Elijah was and here the first verse is him about killing a bunch of other prophets. Well, what had happened just before this is that Elijah, the prophet of God, had a, had a showdown or a standoff with these other false prophets, the prophets of the chief rival god who, who went by the name of Baal. Um, and uh, they had this showdown on whose god was the strongest, whose god was the most powerful. And at the end of it, uh, Elijah, Elijah's god, the true god, responded. The prophets of Baal, their god did nothing. He didn't respond at all. And so it was clear that these prophets of Baal were frauds. And uh, the people were all upset. And Elijah ordered the people to put these false prophets to death. So he didn't himself kill anyone. The people did because these guys were false prophets. But it did not make Ahab and Jezebel happy because those prophets were their prophets. They were big uh, propagators of this false worship and they didn't like it one bit. So watch what happens next. So Jezebel, the queen, it's a good name for your daughter, for those of you who are pregnant, Jezebel. Um, not really. Come and see me after before you do that, okay? Um, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, like one of the prophets. So Jezebel says, I swear to God that tomorrow you're going to be dead just like the prophets you had put to death, my prophets. Um, so she, she lowers this, uh, uh, this death threat on Elijah. Watch what Elijah does. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He runs all the way south. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, it's the southernmost uh, town in their country, the southern part of their country. When he comes to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, his attendant. He leaves him there in Israel's borders while he himself went a day's journey further into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. So uh, Elijah is a guy who's getting out of town, if, if you can't put it together. Uh, he, he flees all the way to the south. Uh, Jezebel and Ahab live in the north. He flees all the way to the, to the bottom border of their kingdom. He gets out of town a full day's journey into this barren wasteland called the wilderness. It's a no man's land. He finds this, this bush. And for those of you who are, um, who are just kind of Bible nerds, there are huge connections here between Elijah and Hagar and Ishmael back in Genesis 21. So you can write a footnote in your Bible and study that later if you want. Um, but Elijah, he finds this scrubby bush in the middle of the desert. And he lies down. And he cries out to God and he says, I am done. I'm exhausted. Just let me die. Man, I, I bet some of you have been there before. Or maybe some of you are there today. I mean, uh, Elijah here is not a man who's suffering because he's been careless. Because he's lived a wild life. Elijah's not suffering because, uh, you know, he's, he's burned bridges with people. Or he's been godless. Elijah's suffering because he's been faithful. He's been faithful to God. And uh, even though he's been faithful, 
it doesn't seem to make a difference. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, and so he's exhausted. He's worn out. Not a guy who's having a pity party, and we do that sometimes, but this is legitimate suffering. He, here's a guy who has done right, who has done what God asks. He has worked hard for, for God, and, and nothing is working out. He just can't get a break. And again, I, I believe some of you know exactly what that feels like. Because I know today there are some of you who are working hard in your marriages. And you're being faithful and hardworking. And yet your marriage is so painful. And in spite of your faithfulness and your hardworking, things just aren't turning around. And I know some of you are trying to be faithful in your school. When everyone is, is doing other things and going another way. And, and you're trying to be faithful because that's what you were taught. And you were taught that God blesses the faithful. And yet it doesn't feel like it for you because you're being left out. You're being ostracized. You're missing opportunities. And things just aren't changing for you. You know, today I think about those of you who are providing care for someone who is, who is in, in desperate need of care and, and their situation isn't changing and, and you're pouring yourself out in a caregiving relationship with them and yet, and yet things aren't improving and you don't know how long it's going to last, but you're tired. You're weary. See, see, I know there's some of you in here who are struggling with temptations, big temptations, and you're looking around you, and you, and you see the world around you, and even people you know and love and care about, and, and even other Christians, and, and, and they've just surrendered, and they've given in to those temptations, and it, and it looks so much easier, and yet you're holding on, and you're saying, no, I'm going to trust God, even though this seems crazy, even though this doesn't make any sense, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to hang in there, and yet it doesn't get any easier. And you start to wonder, am I just an idiot? Why am I bothering? Or maybe it's not a temptation for you. Maybe it's some struggle with, with your sense of identity. Or, or maybe it's, it's a struggle with despair or depression. I mean, maybe you're a person who you're coming to church and you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do to fight things like depression and yet, and yet it's always there. It's, it's always finding a way to come over you and you're just going, what gives? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and yet, right, right? See, that's where Elijah is. This is not some pity party. This is not frivolous uh, suffering. This is a guy who's doing everything he should be doing, and, and the results just aren't coming for him like, like they should be, and he's, he's worn out, he's wearied, and so he lies down under this tree in the middle of the desert. He lies down, and he just says, you know what, God? Take my life. I'm done. And watch how God responds. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but it's supposed to sound crazy. I mean, for some of you who struggle to believe the miraculous things in the Bible, here's this guy in the middle of the wilderness, and, uh, and there's, there's hot bread that someone baked for him and a jar of water in the middle of the desert. It's not a mirage, and, uh, but you know, even if you struggle to believe this, hang on, because uh, there's still some powerful truth here for you. So he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Now, I, I don't know if, if the journey the angel is referring to 
is the journey he's been on up to this point, or if the angel's looking forward to the journey that he's about to go on. Either way, I, I love this moment. I, I love this acknowledgement. You know, Elijah is worn out because the journey has been too much for him. And I, and I love this picture of God sending an angel down to literally touch him and to feed him and to strengthen him, not once, but twice. Uh, and, then, and then the angel goes on and says, the journey's too much for you. Next verse. So he got up and he ate and drank and strengthened by that food, that food alone, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So because of this encounter, the guy was exhausted, he's ready to die. The angel touched him, fed him twice, and now he gets up and travels for 40 days, 40 nights, seemingly without food or drink, until he comes to this place called Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, now Horeb is a place uh, that, that someone else significant had visited five or six or seven hundred years before, a guy by the name of Moses. You've heard of him, right? Uh, This is the same mountain that Moses had been to before. And this is the place where he received the law of God. Where he received the Ten Commandments. You know, the big two uh, uh, stone tablets that he carried down. Uh, This is where Moses received all that. This is now the same place that Elijah has gone. And and we're not sure if if Elijah is going there because God summoned him. I'll tell you, it looks like he's running away. Because he's running all the way down, 40 days outside of, of Israel. He's running toward, toward uh, the Red Sea, toward Egypt, running the opposite way of where Ahab and Jezebel are. He's, he's going the wrong way. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And yet he ends up at this place called Horeb, the mountain of God. And uh, he goes inside, and there's a cave, and he spends the night. He, uh, he crashes after 40 days of travel. He spends the night. Now watch what happens next. Uh, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Be careful when you ask a hurting person... What's going on in their life, right? I mean, Elijah, God asked him, hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? You're way the heck down in Horeb. You should be up in Israel. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah lets him have it. He says, God, I've been faithful to you. I'm zealous for you. I love you. I've been doing crazy things in your name, and yet nothing's changing. Your people, they've still rejected your covenant. They still are worshiping false gods. They've torn down your altars. They're killing the prophets, and now I'm the only one left. Tell me you haven't cried out to God like that before in your life. Or at least wanted to. See, see, there's this great risk when we're weary and when we're worn out from struggle. And that risk is, not not that we'll speak irreverently to God. I think God can handle that. But but the risk is that we start to believe things that aren't true. They they really start to seem true even though they aren't. Like, for instance, we start to believe that, that, that we're the only ones struggling. I mean, you look around the world and everyone seems happy and their kids seem healthy and their marriages are whole and, and they're financially prosperous going on luxury vacations and you just look around and you just go, is it only me? Am I the only one? 
Of course not, but it's easy to believe that when you're in a place of weariness from struggle. You believe that you're the only one struggling, or, or you believe that your struggle is pointless. Right? Here I am struggling. Here I am doing what's faithful and right. Here I am, and, and it doesn't make a bit of difference to anyone. It's not changing my circumstances. It's not helping anyone else. It's absolutely meaningless. Again, it's not true, but it's easy to believe, isn't it? When you're wearied from struggle. It's even easy to believe that God is powerless. Right? I mean, because if God was powerful, why wouldn't he heal my spouse or my parent or my kid? Why, why wouldn't he free me from, from the, the temptation that I'm having? Why wouldn't he change my circumstances? Why wouldn't he change my heart? If he had power, why wouldn't he do that? I, I don't think Elijah struggled with this one because he had seen God's power. I think for Elijah, probably this next one was true, that he started to believe that God doesn't care. Right? So, so if God is powerful, then maybe he just doesn't really care. Maybe he's not caring, or maybe I'm just not good enough to, to be able to receive his care in my life. If, if I were better, if I tried harder, may, maybe, maybe then he would care. Maybe I've disqualified myself from his love in some way. So, so Elijah, he lets God have it. God says, what are you doing here? And he says, what am I doing here? Let me tell you what I'm doing here. And, and you can hear some of these things in his mind, some of, some of these lies that are not true. And, and I want you to see how God responds to him. So the Lord said... All right, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Uh, That's kind of a a phrase that the Bible uses for God is going to show you his glory. He's going to show you his raw power. It's a scary phrase. It only happens to a few people throughout the Old Testament. It's about to happen for Elijah. So he says, go out there. I'm about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains. And and they tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He's afraid to see the glory of God. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And this is going to feel like deja vu for a second, but listen to what he says. He replied and he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And the Israelites, they've rejected your covenant, they've torn down your altars. And they've put your prophets to death with the sword. And now I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me, too. So so why the repeat, right? I mean, God asked that question twice. Elijah answered in the exact same way twice. Well, maybe there's a repeat because of what happened in between. You know, God sent the wind and the earthquake and the fire. Maybe that's a way of showing Elijah, yes, I'm still powerful. Yes, I am still the true God. Maybe it was a way of putting Elijah back into his place when he questioned God and stepped out of bounds. But but, but I find it fascinating that in the wind, in the earthquake, in the fire, God was not present. He sent those things, but he was not in those things. God, when he finally shows up, when he manifests himself, he comes in a whisper. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
a whisper. It's the voice of tenderness. It's the voice of intimacy, of confidence, of closeness. And apparently that's enough to melt Elijah, at least to take away some of his seething anger and his sense of injustice. And, and now he answers God again with the same words, but this time maybe he's a little more raw. He just lets his hurt and his pain and his frustration, his misunderstanding, his lack of understanding, he, he just puts it out there for God and he says, God, I don't get it. I've been zealous for you. I've been faithful in your, in your people. It just doesn't matter. They don't listen. They're tearing down your altars and, and they're putting to death your prophets, the people who are speaking for you. And, and now it's just me. I'm all alone. And now that Elijah's in this place, God's finally got him ready. He's finally got him prepared to hear an answer. I mean, now Elijah knows that God is not some slave-driving, back-breaking taskmaster, that he really is a tender and loving God. Now Elijah is in a place where he can hear the words that, that none of us want to hear when we are in the middle of a struggle. The, the words that we loathe to hear when we are worn out by the battles of life. The, the things that none of you want to hear today if you are finding yourself in a wearying struggle. This is what God says to him. It says, And the, and the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go back. Go back. Go back to Israel where Jezebel's waiting to kill me. Go back. Go back into the loneliness of my struggle. You want me to go back? Go back into the fighting with, with no assurance that, that I'm ever going to be rescued from this. Go back. Go back with no promise of a happy ending. You want me to go back? Go back to the exhaustion. Go back to the work. Go back. Yeah. Go back. I mean, what are, the, what are your options? What else are you going to do? Quitting is not an option. Right? I mean, do you think just giving into that temptation, giving into that struggle, do you think that's going to make your life better? I mean, for sure, it, it will relieve the tension for a season, and that may feel great for a season. It may feel like things have gotten better, but over the long run, do you think that's really going to make your life better just, just to give into it? Do, do you think it's going to make your life better if, if you just give into the despair? that follows you through life. I mean, you can say, hey, prayer and church and this stuff isn't working. So is it better just to let despair have you? Is it better to give up the struggle? Do you think that's going to make your life better? Is it better just to walk out of your painful marriage and expect that all of a sudden everything in life is going to be perfect again? Is that it? Is that going to make things better for you? Go back the way you came. Go back. Because quitting is not an option. Go back. Because even though the struggle may weary you, the struggle isn't over yet. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Go back north. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishmi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. 
Uh, Jehu, this is what you get to go back to, Elijah. You're going to anoint these guys. A Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. You get to go back to bloodshed and warfare again. Aren't you so excited about this? Yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Yes, go back. See, this is the word that we don't want to hear. This is the word that, that just seems just, just too daunting and too scary for us to really listen to and to believe. Go back. This word from God that says, don't give up. Don't give up in your struggle. Because you know what? You're not alone. Even though it feels like you're alone, you're not. I mean, he told Elijah, he's like, there are 7,000 people back in Israel. You think you're the only one. There are 7,000 people who are in the exact same struggle you are. See, right now in this room, if you know this kind of wearying struggle in life, and you don't have to say what it is, no one knows, but if you, just, if you just know what I'm talking about today, if you've been where Elijah has been in that place of weariness from struggle, just nod your head emphatically right now. I can see you, by the way, and I know some of you are lying. Nod your head, because I know some of your stories. Nod your head before I call you out. Not really. Nod your head. Seriously, nod your head. Come on. And what I want you to do right now, if you're nodding your head, is I want you to just look around, and you'll see other people are nodding your head, and some are too scared to, and that's on them, that's not on you. But look around and realize that you are not alone. And, and even if you don't feel like they know your exact brand of struggle, that's okay. Elijah had 7,000 people back in Israel who were just like him. There are people in the world who are just like you, faithfully struggling with the same things you are struggling with. You are not the only one. Don't give up. I mean, this time of year just blows me away that that even God himself has joined us in struggle, that that we are not alone because God understands struggle. He has submitted himself, subjected himself to struggle. He, He put on flesh, right? And he came to earth and he was tempted in every way that we are. So when God says to you, go back into the struggle, go back into the battle, when he says to you, don't give up, he's not talking from a position of being removed. He's not sitting safe in an ivory tower somewhere. He's come down into the struggle in the person of Jesus Christ. He has suffered all, even death. He gets your struggle. Don't give up because you're not alone. Don't give up. Because if you trust God, God will not waste any of your struggle. You hear me? If you trust God, he will not waste it. He will redeem that struggle, and he will use it for your growth. He'll use it for his glory. He'll use it to bless and help other people. See, see, if you don't give up, if you persevere, God can use all of that in a powerful and redemptive way. Just don't give up. Don't give up because God will come to you in those moments when you are absolutely exhausted. I know there are some times in life where you feel like you can't go a step further, and yet you do. But in those moments when, when you are done, when you, when you are done, when you cannot struggle another moment longer, don't give up. Because in those moments, God will come to you. And he will lay his hand on you. And he will feed you. With everything your soul needs, he will, he will strengthen you. Uh, Jesus once said, when his disciples went to go find food because they were all hungry and they brought him back some food, uh, they offered him food and he said, 
I've got food you know nothing about. And they got all mad because they thought he was holding out on them. And he said, no, 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 my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Do you realize that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? 40 years of struggle. And yet, in that 40 years, do you know it says in the Bible that, that their, their feet never got swollen and their clothes never wore out? See, see when, when, when you pursue faithfulness, God has a way of feeding you just when you need it. You won't run out because God will show up and touch you with his presence. He will feed you with the strength that only he can provide. That's what we're going to do at the end of the service, by the way, in Holy Communion. I mean, this is not some ritual that we partake in. This is the power of the living God who comes down to us and touches us with his presence and power and strength, and he feeds us with a supernatural food which will enable us to keep going. Don't give up, because in those moments when you are exhausted, God will come to you and he will minister to you, and he will give you the food and the strength and the sustenance you need. Don't give up. See, because today God has a word to speak to you. And it's not a word like a, a rabid you know, basketball coach at halftime of an NCAA game when the team is losing. He's not kicking over chairs saying, don't give up, get out there. God comes to you today in a whisper. He comes to you today in tenderness. He says, don't give up. Don't give up. You know, someday your tour of duty will be over. You don't know when that day is, but, but Jesus promises he's coming back again for you and for this whole world, and he'll end all struggle, and that day is coming, and we don't know when it is, but it could be soon. You know, Elijah was given his marching orders to go back, and, and yet he was right near the end of his ministry. He didn't know it yet. He was anointing his successor. God took him to heaven in a fiery chariot. Amazing narrative. Again, kind of crazy for some of us, but, but his tour of duty was over. He didn't know it. Think how sad it would have been if he would have quit just a few moments too soon. See, someday your tour of duty will be over, but until that day, don't give up. And here's the rub. I know this isn't the word you want to hear. If you're in the middle of a wearying struggle, you, you would rather hear me say, you know, it's okay, just quit. God doesn't want you to exert yourself. God wants you to, to be happy. God doesn't want you to carry this burden. Just, just you know, whatever, just quit, give up. But if you trust God, if you can just let not just your ears, but your heart hear him today. If you can bring yourself to accept this word, don't give up. God can do something miraculous in and through your life. Just give him a chance. Don't give up. Let me stand.